There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1,110. Uh, hey, head on over to ID10T.com uh, for new and vintage fun pop culture merch and sign up for the email list uh, there just so we can notify you of things. Uh, because they, as I keep saying, there's we're, we're adding more and more fun stuff. We're, we've got some fun things in the works and we'd love to share it with you. So uh, go sign up for the email list, please. It is helpful. And um, let's talk about the ID10T Community Corkboard events at ID10T.com for the goings-on in the ID10T community. Uh, like this email from a band called Phantom Ships, who describes themselves as a uh, psychedelic noise rock band out of Greenville, South Carolina. Um, uh, it, from the, in the likes of Sonic Youth and The OCs, uh, they say we wrote, recorded, mixed, and distributed the album on our own and couldn't be more proud of it. It's available to stream on Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp, YouTube, and Pandora. You can get more information about us on Instagram at Phantom Ships or at Bandcamp.com slash Phantom Ships SC. Uh, all right, events at ID10T.com for your thing that you want to share with the ID10T community. This episode is Eve Hewson, who is in a show that my wife and I loved that uh, has been on Netflix for a couple weeks now called Behind Her Eyes. It's uh, great. We loved it. We were in from the get-go. Uh, I, I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to give anything away, but it's just one of those like, oh, you, you just feel uncomfortable and you're squir- you, you feel squirmy while you're watching because you're like, what is going on? And then it, it, things unfold. I guess it's like a psychological thriller is probably the best way to describe it uh, without giving too much away. But it's, but it's really great. And uh, Eve is really great in it. Uh, she's been in a lot of great stuff like The Nick. She was on The Nick. And also um, Eve is from Ireland, which I talk a lot about because... Um, you know, when it is uh, safe and responsible to travel again, that's the first place Lydia and I are going to go. Um, uh, so we are we are really dying to go to Ireland. So I asked uh, Eve uh, a lot of Ireland questions. So uh, fantastic conversation, wonderful guest, and a really fantastic actor. So uh, here is the ID10T podcast number 1110 with Eve Hewson. Initiating ID10T protocol. I'm sorry, I'm not going to play guitar for the podcast. My producer, Katie, is a, uh, her boyfriend is a guitar expert. And so I was just showing her, I got this snazzy, uh, vintage-looking but new guitar. Beautiful. It looks very nice. Where are you? Is this your studio? Well, this is, uh, uh, well, it was, yeah. I mean, when people came to do things in person, it was. Right. Um, but, um, and so that's where I am now. This was just a basement that I turned into a log cabin. Well, it looks fun. You look like you're in Aspen. <laughs> and actually, I'm in L.A. and it's like 60, 70 degrees. Yeah, it's, so it's a sauna. It's kind of a sauna, but I well, it's, it's kind of cool in the house. And I think I felt guilty because everywhere else in the country is kind of being pounded by winter. And yeah. so I thought, well, I don't want to brag that we are having this amazing weather. So I think... 
Yes, exactly. I'll You're just, doing it as a service to to humanity. It's just, a service to the other half of America. Just as to, uh, empathetically to say, like, you know, I'm assuming you're in New York, maybe? No, I'm in London. You're in London. Okay, so probably not warm there right now. It's actually quite nice. It's like it's a, a light jacket for a brisk walk, if you know what I mean. But light jacket to a Londoner is probably like a, a very strong winter coat for someone from Los Angeles. Yes, very much so. Like a puffer, a puffer jacket. A puffer jacket, exactly. That's a light jacket. How is London right now? How are you? I'm good. We're, it's good. It's shut, it's shut down, which has been the case since before Christmas. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're just sort of like getting through it. It's, it's quite nice, I have to say. You know, you go out for walks in the park every day and, you know, you feel like there's kind of people around. But obviously you can't go to a restaurant or a shop or anything. Um, but, you know, we're getting through it. We're, we, we open up in April. That's what I read. I read it's it's I don't read the news a lot anymore. Yeah, it's not like wonderful. <laughs> it, was, it was becoming a strain on our mental health while we were yeah. kind of like trapped in the house. But every but I kind of do this hunting and pecking thing where I'll just scan for something that looks hopeful and then I'll shut the news app and yeah. I saw like, oh, April things, you know, and then maybe by June, and I didn't know if it was true or not, but I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to hold on to that. And then I'm going to not look at the news again. Yeah. Well, they've been vaccinating people so much that by the end of June, there will be no restrictions on social gatherings. Oh, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. Have you been shooting during this time at all? I haven't. I wish I have. I've had so many friends who are shooting during this time and they're Obviously, because they're actors, they're bitching and moaning about it every five seconds. I'm like, I could, I could strangle these people. <laughs> I would love to have spent my pandemic on set. That would have been brilliant. But um, no, I haven't. I had something fall through because of COVID and all these other things sort of moved around and changed. And so I'm waiting now to see when I'm going to shoot this year. Do you know what you're working on next or are you just sort of... I do, uh, yeah. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, my wife and I started watching uh, Behind Her Eyes last night and we're in. We're 100% oh, in. What episode are you on? We just we finished episode two. Um, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to start episode... Oh, so you're, you haven't even really seen the show. Like most people who have... You, you got you to gotta wait. One and two is like... Meh. Well, we don't, yeah. I don't want to give anything away for people who haven't seen it yet because I, I suspect that there are uh, quite some substantial twists coming, but we're in that stage now where the, the show's great. You're fantastic on it. And it's, it's like we're in that, like, we feel uncomfortable. Like, there's something happening and we keep guessing as to what it is. We don't know if it's supernatural or if it's just a little off kilter or something, but, but there are definitely things happening where we're like, this does not feel okay. What? Okay. Well, I think, and so we've already, we've already like the theories have already begun. Yeah. So it's episode one and two. You kind of think, you know what you're watching. You think, you know, and it's actually been really fun just because all my friends have been coming up with theories as they keep, you know, and (laughs) they go, I think it's this, 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 what do you think? I'm like, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then by the end of episode six, they're like, mind has been completely blown. And they never get it right, which is which is good, I think. No one has been able to guess this. Right. Uh, so that's been quite satisfying. But that also probably makes it hard when, if you're doing like, especially junket press, where they have, they ask you like five questions, but you can't, you can't really talk about it. So I can't how- talk about it. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible it's, to talk about. How do you describe it? Is it is it a psychological thriller or is it a relationship thriller or is it, how do you describe it? How I've been pitching it is basically a single mother starts an affair with her new boss while simultaneously striking up a secret friendship with his wife. And then there is a secret, a dark secret between their marriage that she starts to uncover. And that's all I can say. And then, <laughs> it, so that's that. And then shit goes sideways. And, and they, then, yeah, yeah, it shit hits the fan. Um, yeah. So I haven't been able to explain to anybody. I've just been telling people it's good. They should watch it, which really isn't selling 
selling it to anybody. But when people do see it, they lose their minds. Um, and so there's been a huge explosion on Twitter of people's reactions are so funny. Don't go on it because you'll get spoilers. Um, <laughs> well, but people genuinely are glad they've seen it once they've once they've watched the whole thing. And when people kind of sense that something is coming, it's probably more satisfying to be able to binge watch it than to have to wait, you know, two months to see how it's going to play out. Absolutely. Now, this is a binge worthy show. This is like binge it all. I've gotten texts from people at four o'clock in the morning, you know, like, oh, my God, I have work at 8 a.m. And I guess I'm watching the show. What the hell happens? Who are you? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just binge it. I mean, I mean, one thing that I'm happy about is that people love it so much and it's such a thrilling ride. And right now for people just sitting at home, bored out of their minds on the weekends, like to give people something to really feel passionately about brings me joy. Oh, good. Well, that's nice. That's a good, I mean, you know, uh, of of all the times in history to be um, stuck in our homes, we have a lot of luxuries that have helped sort of pass the time. We have literally... The internet, the sum total of human knowledge and accomplishment in our, in our pockets, and also literally everything that's ever been produced ever that I know. summon at will. So we do yeah. have some distractions. Yeah, 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 yeah. What else have you been doing during, uh, are, are, are you playing music? Do you play, in, do you play instruments? I think, I heard you played piano and drums and yes. have you been practicing anything? God, no. <laughs> I've learned how to balance a glass of wine um, uh, in my, by my toes, <laughs> between my toes. Yeah. That's been one of my like favorite hobbies every night yeah. on the couch. Um, no, I yes, I did play the piano. Yes, I did play the drums. I played the guitar. I played the bass, um, and all of those things I should have tackled when. I was locked inside for a year, but I didn't do any of that. (laughs) Um, I did a lot of, I was running a lot, you know, I did a lot of like, sort of like drinking, eating, smoking, and then like cleansing and then drinking, eating, smoking, cleansing. That like sort of pattern was my, it was my, like how I got through basically all of last year. Um, Yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. I would love to talk to you about Ireland. If yeah. I don't, I don't know how much time you spent there, but my wife—I know you were born there—but my wife, I believe, is eligible for dual citizenship because her father was first-generation American from Donegal, and her mother's family lineage is also of Ireland, and they both had citizenship. So. She, she's really interested in getting dual citizenship and we would love to spend part of our years in Ireland. You should do it. I mean, I grew up there, so I'm fully 100% an Irish potato. Good. Okay. So I was 18 and I just moved to New York for college. I went to Tisch. Got it. Um, Yeah. Okay. So good. So I know, you know, you have Dublin on the East coast and then you have Cork in the South and then, but I know the West Coast is nice, but Galway, Sligo, Mayo. The weather maybe is not like so. Let's just talk about like climate zones first. Okay. Good, right. where, where's the good climate zone? You know, because <laughs> good massive. climate zone <laughs> was that already a stupid question? No, no, no. The good climate zone. Uh, there's probably like there's about you know three days in June. <laughs> okay. <laughs> A good climate zone. I always tell people to come in June because there, I swear to God, there's always this week. And I remember it when I was in school because we would always have our, our school exams in June. And I'd be going to school and the sun would be shining. like, what the fuck? Why is this always happening when I have to go do an exam? This is shit. I want to be, you know, running around the fields or like, you know, attempting to get a tan. Um so June is good, but no, in terms of climate, you got pretty much just one tiny little island. So it's going to be four seasons in one day. Christmas. I don't know if you celebrate Christmas. We do. But 
You do? Okay, so you then you'd probably be doing like a family thing, but I know a lot of Americans love coming to Dublin for Christmas because we, or actually anywhere in Ireland, we do it really well. It's the full Irish pubs with lock-ins, you know, Irish music, sing songs, like fairy lights and tiny little, you know, um, Irish villages. It's just, it's beautiful, but it's windy, it's rainy, it's not in any way like Los Angeles. No, she loves all that, by the way. She's, <laughs> my wife is not like it. I love the blue sky and the sun, and yeah. she kind of like, ugh, you know, like, why isn't it raining? Like, she likes inclement weather. Yeah. So I think she, and also her favorite smell in the world is this like bog incense. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Because she used to, they used to go to Donegal when she was a kid. Yeah, you could take it to the bog in Donegal. You could. Yeah. So I, I don't yeah. know. I'm I'm up for it. I think we watched the show on um, I think it's on HGTV uh, or the Magnolia Network uh, called Escape to the Chateau, and it's about a British expat couple that bought a dilapidated castle in France for like two hundred thousand euros. And then spends the entire series, they're in like series six or seven now, just renovating it and updating it. Um, And she's like, we should do that in Ireland. So she wants to find like a dilapidated castle for almost no money and turn it into like a real Irish castle home. I swear to God, there are things that like that going. We also have a lot of beautiful um, sort of little islands, especially on the West Coast, like where you could, there are so many houses that you could buy and turn into, you know, some little castle. I don't know how many castles are going in Ireland, but like, go for it. You definitely, if you come, you'd have to have have like the, it's the very, it's a cottage experience. If you know what I mean? Like you want to be drinking Guinness by the fire, you know, you want to be in like, it's kind of like the life that you're living in this um, room that you're in the cabin. Yeah, but I had to fake this. The the right hat. It's like a newsboy's hat and a and a nice, you know, Christmas sweater. (laughs) I I picked this hat specifically for this podcast because my wife got me a couple of Irish wool hats. Yeah, perfect. And so I thought this would be appropriate. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, I've really faked the kind of experience that I mean, legitimately, I'm staring at a blue sky outside. There's not a trace of winter, but I did want to give that appearance. So. Yeah, no, I think you'd fit right in. Yeah, good, 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 good. Um, are there any uh, particular towns that you think are worth visiting or that we should definitely go see? I, I grew up going every summer to a small town in Cork called Allahees. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I swear to God, it's got like four pubs, one post office and a church and that's it there's a a playground it's like a sort of i guess it's like a basketball court kind of a thing um beautiful beach about 45 minutes away from waterfalls and amazing walks and sort of mountain hikes and all that stuff but it was that was my summers was going there and just hanging out and you know being one with the island um but it's kind of I I loved it because it was like you knew everybody in town you know it was that that just a really friendly feeling um so I would recommend Allahees it's it's very far away though from Dublin if you were going to come to Ireland you'd want to do a few nights in Dublin rent a car kind of go around the coast of Ireland, go down to the south, go up the west, and maybe end in the bogs in Donegal. Yeah, um, I mean, listen, for, for being being a Southern Californian, the, the the being in the car part is not, you know, like even to think like, oh, well, gosh, you have to drive like two hours from Dublin. It's like it can take two hours to get from the east side of town to Santa Monica in Los Angeles. I, so, I know, I've so, lived in LA. It's horrific. <laughs> so we don't and, and, and I think at least in Ireland it's like it's gorgeous I've never been to Ireland I've been to Scotland and I've been all over um uh England but I've always wanted to go to Ireland it just feels like uh it just feels like green just nothing but green yeah yeah I mean it is green but it's also you know 
gray, gray yeah. and rainy. I think, I think they do like to sh- say, you know, this is very green. Like they, the tourism, you know, group, they sort of hype up the green. Um, but there's a lot of rain too, just to warn you. Yeah, no, I, I am. I am emotionally prepared for that. And I know <laughs> I will probably grouse at it. And then my wife will think it's the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there, there really is a personality. There really is a personality division in terms of, I don't know why she likes the gray, but she does not like sunshine and she does not like, she might be a vampire. She likes the wow, night. I think I get along with your wife. Cause I like to like close all the shutters and just stay inside. I hate like bright light. Yep. Yeah. She's a, she's a, secret yeah, she's, she, 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 like no one would know to look at her. But she is goth. She's a secret goth. Like inside, <laughs> just all, it's just all goth. Do you, uh, uh, is there like a, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you would know this, but is there like a comedy scene in Ireland that you're aware of? Is there like stand-up performance? Yeah, I, do, I don't know too much about it. I know everybody listens to Blind Boy, the Blind okay. Boy podcast, which you should definitely check out. Okay. Of Also this guy called Mark Megan, who... Okay who's kind of a big sort of social media comedian guy. Um, I know more about sort of like the Instagram, like Irish comedians. I don't know much about sort of the stand-up scene there. Um, I haven't been around it. So, and then, you know, I think I'd know if it was a big thing, but maybe I'm just clued out. I, I don't know. And when you, at what point did you decide, because you've been acting for quite a while now, did you, was that just something that you always wanted to do? Did you feel like, oh, I need to go? I would imagine there's some, there is an industry in Ireland because we watch a lot of Irish horror movies. So I know that stuff gets made there. Yeah. But but do you, but if you want to be an act, if you want to be an actor and you're growing up in Ireland, you go, well, I I probably, you know, there's, there are probably bigger industries in other places to go, or is there an option to just like stay and work in Ireland? It is an option, but I had sort of spent enough time in New York as a kid to know that I loved New York. And I, I had this weird way of getting into the business. I had a tutor when I was 13 who, who um, was a filmmaker and she, and she tutored on the side and she was an independent filmmaker. And um she started writing these movies and sort of started getting me involved in like the production aspect. You know, I was like a runner and a PA on like her short films and stuff. And she ended up sort of putting me in a few scenes. And then she wrote this film and gave me a part in it when I was 15. And it was very sort of low key. And, um, you know, uh, my mom told me that it was going to be on like a camcorder. <laughs> like, I had no idea what I was doing, but I, I got to go to North Carolina to Wilmington uh, when I was 15 and like leave school for two weeks, which I thought was so fun. Like walking onto this million dollar production and having this amazing, like just romance with acting and filmmaking and, you know, like how the crew becomes a family and like, you know, it's just so fun. Like every morning I remember just like, you know, running to the hair makeup trailer and I was just so obsessed with it. And so I came home kind of crazed about it. And that movie ended up going to the Tribeca film festival. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. So I was 16 when that happened. And because of that, I ended up getting an American agent. And so that's sort of why I ended up going, staying in, in America and working in America. And I wanted to study it and I really wanted to move to New York. So I I applied to Tish and auditioned for that and I got in. So it kind of just fit that I would leave and, and go to New York. And so I was doing my auditions while I was still in college and that's sort of how it all, all began. What is the course study at Tish? How long, how long, how many years is the program and what are you, what do you, st- is, it, is it, is it like a full sort of artistic education or do you just lean into the dramatic arts? Are they making you do a bunch of stuff? It's, I was telling someone this the other day. It is fantastic. I couldn't recommend it more. It's so smart the way that they do it. I mean, it's like any American college, like obviously you have to apply, you have to pass all the SAT 
let you know the essay stuff you have to get in you have to pass the academics up first and then you also have to be accepted with your audition um and then for the drama program you do you get put into three uh you get put into a studio that does a specific method of acting so there's Stella Adler Meisner um Strasberg there's the playwright theater company and all of that stuff So I got put into Adler and three days a week you go to Adler, you do your practical training there, which is like Shakespeare, voice, scene study, movement, ballet, script analysis, improv, yada, 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 yada. And then the other two days, it's all academic. So there's a certain amount of um, theater credits that you have to um fulfill so you have to do a bunch of theater studies you're reading and writing plays and doing all that stuff and then you have to do a certain amount of like um english courses and film courses and then you have loads of credits to fill up with whatever you want to fill up from the college of arts and sciences so i chose to go and do child psychology oh wow um, yeah so i did a, i did a minor in that and that but other people you could go and do like linguistics you could do biology you could do french you could do art history um so they want you to kind of have you go and do business studies you know whatever you i have no idea yeah so they want you to be a really well-rounded artist is what they say like you know so it's not just learning how to be a good actor it's learning how to be a good businesswoman or whatever it is so you can sort of combine that and make a career for yourself rather than you know just like being good at Shakespeare. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Well, and, and I feel like now the sort of the, the, the modern day performer has to be like five things. You know, it's like there's yeah. to be your own freaking marketer. You have to be your own uh, everything. And then it's not just, which I, I mean, I guess is good in a way because you, I feel like you probably get trained to do a lot of different things. Whereas, you know, if you were an actor 30 years ago, you were probably just an actor and really probably like just a TV actor or just a film actor or just a stage actor, but there was not a lot of crossover. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Marilyn Monroe and like Matt, Natalie Wood were, they were all producing their own productions. Like Marilyn Monroe was doing a lot of theater stuff that like nobody really talks about what she did, but you know, there is a sort of business side to, to it that I guess a lot of people just don't know or, or talk about openly or now they, they are because it's so about, you know, women stepping into you know powerful roles and all of that. But most of the actors that I know are usually developing their own work, writing their own work, you know, collaborating with their friends or colleagues or whatever. This is kind of like, you can't wait for your, you know, just for the audition to come in. You kind of have to just be, you know, making it up yourself. Otherwise, you know, otherwise your agent like has other clients, you know, they, they can't constantly be um, only working for you and, uh, 
I think that's kind of important. Like a lot of people don't, don't really know that. Right. Cause I think they assume like, Oh, like then your agent does all the work. And it's like, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you have to kind of give them stuff to do or give them material to work with or sort of create momentum on your own. And then they can kind of come in and help yeah. finish it off or get you to the next level. But you, but you really can't rely on anyone ever. Yeah. You've got to, you've really got, you've got to like be moving the charge and then your agent is moving the charge on, on their side. And then you both come in and you combine and you work together and, um, but yeah, you sort of, you, you can, you have to be the driving force, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're, if you have, if you're, if you're lucky to do that, I mean, if once you're in the business, I think that's when you can start to really gain some momentum. Um, are you writing and producing? Are you, are you, are you, is there anything you're thinking I, about? I, yeah, there's lots of things that I, I, I want to produce and it's just so hard getting stuff made. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's 100% what I'm interested in doing. Um, yeah. Are there certain types of stories that are intriguing to you uh, or certain genres that you are le- that lean toward? Yeah, I find a lot of sort of like, I l- like really fascinated by mental illness. And I think that goes back to like me being obsessed with child psychology and it's cool, right. but um, there's some, some roles and some stories and some books like that, that I'm really interested in. And, um, I, I don't know. I think it's hard sometimes when you have like, you know what you can do in your mind, but no, no one else really knows. So trying to find, uh, stories that will showcase that to people is, it's just so necessary. Um, so I don't really have one specific thing. I just know that something different, something that I know I can do that no one else would cast me in. Um, that's the kind of, that's the sort of sweet spot. That also comes with having a really strong sense of who you are and what, I mean, like, because it, that sentence is a very powerful sentence. It's like, oh, I, I, you know, you know, in your head you can do it, but how do you... How do you explain it to people? Yeah. How do you explain that or manifest it? Because even when you're pitching stuff, you know what you're pitching, but to yeah. someone else, they're just like, you can't just like photocopy the vision onto someone's brain. You have to like, that's all the process of like spinning it onto a page or in a meeting. It's so hard to pitch things because in your head, you're like, it's great. And then it's sort of like this, and you can't finish any sentences and you can't, you know, but it's a bit like, have you seen the thing, you know? And everyone's going, right. Um, okay. Lovely idea. Uh, <laughs> it's hard. I'm sure you do this a lot. Well, it is. Yeah. I've been through the pitching process a lot. I, I prefer it more than the audition. I mean, I, I stopped auditioning for theatrical stuff like 20 years ago, but cause I, I, I feel like at least with pitching, you're not trying to fit into a pre-existing idea that someone has. And you're not also not as much, there's so many factors about, about acting and getting cast and roles that you just can't control. Am I tall enough? Do I have the right hair color? Am I, how do I, you know, yeah. do I look like I make sense with the rest of the, you know, yeah. Oh, the director had a friend who, Oh, they auditioned everyone, but they just hired their friend, you know, but at least with pitching, I feel like, you can kind of weave a world and, and, and sell an idea a little more, but you're right. You get to those points where you're just like, "Ah," and then (laughs) just do it. Would you just do it? And then I'll show you, please. It's such a skill. Um, Yeah. That I have not mastered at all yet, but I want to, Um, (laughs) I, I will one day. Well, every time you think you've figured it out, it just isn't because every, every, every pitch is a little different, you know, like, so even though you think you might kind of know, and, and when you're pitching in a room, you just have no idea. Like they'll go, Oh, this was amazing. And then you never hear from them again where they pass. And then you feel like, Oh, they were about to fucking fall asleep and they go, Oh, they want to see pages. And you're like, really? So it, there's just no, I haven't figured out a rhyme or reason to it other than just be passionate and detailed. And, and then you just kind of cross your fingers that they see what you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take that on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fashion and detailed. Got it. Got it. Do you do you right. write? Do you, are you a journaler? Do you write? No, that is 
one thing that I wish I did more of when I was younger, because I, I just, I found it, you know, <laughs> I remember talking to my mom about this and she's just such a funny Irish woman. She was like, I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't like writing. Or she's like, oh, I'm not interested in writing. I mean, why would anyone care? <laughs> <laughs> Or if she wrote anything, but it would, I'd ne- I'll never forget it. You know, she was like, I mean, why would anyone care? And I was like, you know what? You're right. Um, I always found like, you know, writing a diary or journaling or like, I just found it so painful. And then I had this sort of like guilt, you know, like I'd go back years later and read my diary from when I was 15 and I'd be like, oh God, I can't believe I said, you know, why did I do that? Um, so I always felt a little bit awkward about writing. Um, but it's something that everybody tells me I need to start doing. Um, and I just, I would rather have the ideas and be in a room with a writer and sort of bounce them back and forth than, you know, me sitting down and being alone and, and with my own thoughts. I don't find that very exciting. I quite like to work with people and sort of totally buy with the, you know, get an energy from someone and then go with that. Uh, so I would love to find like my dream writing partner and then sort of get into it that way rather than sitting at home being like, okay, now I'm going to write a script, you know? I totally agree because everyone, every different person or team that you collaborate with creates a different sort of emotional chemistry. And so everything has a little bit different of a flavor than if you're just at home writing on your own. Yeah. But you also reminded me how how much power parents wield and how careful <laughs> you have to be. Just, you might say something just sort of offhanded. No. Like, like, oh, writing, I don't know. Why would anyone do that? But then that all of a sudden just is like, it's like pouring cement into a child's mind. <laughs> it's been singed into my brain. Like every time I go to write something, I'm like, why would anyone care? You know, my mom yeah, and you might ask them years later, and they go like, "I don't know what the fuck I said. What? I don't. I don't know. I wasn't even. I was half paying attention at the time." Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, when you were studying child psychology, was was did it did it sort of help um, inform the performance process as well? Absolutely, all that psychology stuff really does, um, and it's sort of one of the reasons why. I, quite like acting is is that element of it it's like who are these people why are they doing what they do you know um so yeah the psychology was so interesting my god it was just amazing um and I would still do it like I still think like okay like sometimes I'm like I just want to quit like you know fuck acting is so stupid <laughs> and I'm like well, what can I do and I, I think I genuinely would like go and be like a child psychologist or something I just find it so interesting yeah. But I probably would never do that. <laughs> I would. Well, that, that, that would be a lot of more work in schooling. Uh, it would be going back to college. And yeah, I don't exactly. think I can make myself sit down and write all those essays again. When I think about going back and like turning my minor into a major, I'm like, but I'd have to write all those essays. Again. <laughs> I was really happy to be done with that when I graduated. I was like, I can't do this anymore. You know, can't I just be a psychologist because I'm cool and yeah. I like talking to people? What do I need? Exactly. I gotta write papers. Come on, I just, you know, like I'm just, I'm cool. I'm cool. Hang. Why can't I just yeah. help people that way? It's interesting for me. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I want. I. You know. I. I don't know. I. I want to figure out. And the most respectful way to ask you about growing up with the sort of family dynamic that you had, yeah. but I don't, but I also you don't. Therapy. <laughs> well, no, because I don't. Um, Great segue. <laughs> no, because I, <laughs> that was accidental, by the way. Speaking of child psychology, um, but, uh, but, it, but it's just because, you know, like, your dad is very famous and I, and, and I'm sure a lot of people hit you with that. And I, 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 I want to figure out like, what is the most respectful way to talk about it or talk around it? Because you are a very accomplished performer that has nothing to do with any of that. And I would imagine like there are times where you're like, listen, I'm proud of my family, but I'm here to talk about this or I'm doing this. And that yeah. is my identity, not 
because of, you know, who I'm related to. Of course, I love my family, but I don't. So from your point of view, like, what is the respectful way to approach it or talk about it or not at all? I mean, to be honest, I'm very, like, okay with it. I mean, thank you for even asking that. That's so, you're like literally the first person who would ever even ask me that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. Um, no, but usually, I mean, I think one thing that, you know, has been difficult is, is the sort of the Bono's daughter, uh, thing that like, it has to be before Eve Hewson in, it seems to be every article for the last 10 years of acting. And, um, you know, so that's something that you kind of always sort of are like, oh gosh, I wish that they would just learn my name. You know, that would have been, that would be so kind of them. Um, but honestly, it's not, I totally understand why people are curious about it and want to ask me about it. And it's totally, you know, it's totally fine for people to ask me. Um, but I think when I was younger, it felt more natural because I was a teenager or a you know, very young adult. And so it was more natural for people to ask me about my parents, you know, like, how's your, you know, let's talk about your parents' career, your dad's career, whatever. But now that I'm like 29, turning 30, I'm like, this does make feel. Have we not little, covered that? It does feel a little like I'm gonna, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling old now. Like, you know, my friends are having kids and still, still um, talking about my dad, and you know, in every meeting or whatever. It does feel a little strange the older that I get. Um, but I have to say, I think the more work I've done, the more people have sort of respected me for, 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 you know, being, I guess, um, having my own career. Uh, so it's sort of naturally falling away. I think the more work I do, it will. And it's not something that I can really put much energy into, which is nice. It's more when I do press and when I'm, when I'm talking, that's when I'm reminded of it all the time, you know? Um, so, you know, but it's good. Cause like oh, my whole family, like my brother's in a band and, um, my sister is re- really creative. She's like an accomplished poet. And so we're all quite, um, creative people and it's, we're naturally going to be, uh, talking about it. Right. And, you know, it's just like sort of the way it is. Yeah, because, you know, clearly because you've worked on so much stuff and so much great stuff, too. I mean, you know, especially like The Nick, which was such a cool show, you know, like you forged this career on your own. You chose to go to Tish. You you were cast in this thing, you know, and you wouldn't keep working on such cool stuff if you weren't good at what you know. It's like you've earned your place in this business. And and listen, you know. Maybe there'll be a day where you see an article and it's and it says like Eve Hewson's dad, Bono. You know what I mean? Like maybe it'll flip, you know? Maybe. But um, I also think that I wonder, do you find that there's a little bit of a gift that you you saw the sort of weirdness of fame and all that is maybe not so real. So it you you make more artistic choices that aren't based on that you're not um uh, there, there's no allure to that kind of weird stuff about it. Do you feel like you're kind of impervious to all that stuff because of the way you grew up? What do you mean weird stuff? I mean the weird fame stuff, this kind of like this stratum of like kind of, you know, fantasy life, not real, the perceptions right. that people have that, you know, it's like that has nothing to do with your humanity or who you are as a person or who you are as an artist really. Um, and sort of growing up in that way, did did that sort of, because some people will get into the business and they want to be famous and then they get really caught up in it. But I feel like, would you say that you were never really, um, that didn't really hold any intrigue for you because you're like, I don't know. That's all that stuff's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, it's a strange thing because I think like fame gives you an identity. And so the, you know, amount of fame that I have gotten from my jobs has given me a sliver of my own identity in a strange way, because if I didn't have that, I would then uh, only ever be known in sort of, you know, the world as 
from the outside looking in as Bono's daughter, blah, 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 blah. So in a way, I've, I've, I feel like I've been able to sort of carve my out my own identity by choosing to be in that world. Right. And, um, but that being said, I do think like having sort of the inside look, you know, has helped. I remember a casting director saying to me, you know, like, she was like, yeah, I, a lot of, I cast, actually cast a lot of um, kids who have, you know, working actor parents or famous parents, whatever. And, and she was like, I swear to God, like, they're actually very well behaved, like more well behaved than people expect them to be because they sometimes more so than the kids who've never been in Hollywood because the kids who have working actor parents, they understand how hard it is and they understand the work ethic. They, they've grown up and they've seen their parents every day, what they do to sort of stay in the business and to, to put out the work that they're putting out. Whereas, you know, a kid might come into Hollywood and like you said, sort of get caught up in it and not fully uh, comprehend um, the difficulty and, and sort of the pitfalls and all the things that you need to, you know, watch out for and how much hard work it takes, you know, to, to make good work. Um, So that kind of stuck with me. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. And like, I do have some friends who have like, you know, famous parents who are in the business. And um, I I think that that might be true. Like, you you know, it's, it's, I, I felt, I like that she said that. At least it made me feel a little bit confident. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think people will make a lot of assumptions about, you know, kids who have famous parents. Like, oh, everything's so easy. It's like, no. I, I mean, yeah, in some ways it might be, but in other ways, you know, the most important thing that we struggle with as humans is our identity. Who are we? You know, like, how, what do we stand for? What do we do? You know, and then when you kind of have this extra layer of like, okay, not only am I establishing my own identity, but now it seems to be linked to this other person. <laughs> and yeah. sort of like, you kind of have to do a little bit of extra work because there might be preconceived notions or there might, or you might be inextric- inextricably linked to this other person in, at certain times. And so that's, I feel like that's really profound because you, you know, as everyone has a desire to establish your own identity, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I also, you know, I grew up with like, you know, my dad's like, so obviously like clued into everything. And, you know, I remember like calling him once cause they were HBO or flying me to New York, you know, for some press thing. And, and like, they were flying me business class. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, it was like the first time I've been like flown business class. And I, and I was like, dad, like they're flying me business class. Like to, to, to New York is so cool. And he was like, yeah. And they will drop you the minute your show's not hot. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, can you let me just experience this joy for one second? He was like, no. <laughs> He's like, understand that this is not real. You know, this is a moment in time. It has nothing to do with your worth as an actor, you know? And I was like, okay, it was a good le- lesson to learn, but he really likes to keep me in, in check. That is, that is, that is the, um, that's, that's actually some constructive tough love because and I also appreciate that he said it has nothing to do with your worth. You know, yeah. like that stuff, it ebbs and it flows. It and does. It has, it has nothing to do with who you are. Enjoy it now while, you know, like, cause it's fun and the seats are comfier, but, but don't let that, I mean, that's such an important statement because it's so easy. Do you, do you feel like because what we do in the creative arts, there's, there's, it's not like we manufacture a physical good, you know, it's not like, you can sort of look at a spreadsheet and a flowchart and go, okay, well, here we go. We've made this many more things. So we are successful. Like you trying to find value and not accidentally misplace that value onto things that are not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very difficult, it's very difficult to stay on track because you like, how do we define what is a value? I don't know. I mean, for me, I've, I've learned, you know, I was lucky, like I, I started out in sort of really sort of artsy independent cinema. Like I did my first real movie when I was like 18 was um, with Paolo Sorrentino. And then I did Nicole Hollis Center and then I did The Nick. And so I kind of worked with like really sort of interesting filmmakers. And then I 
had like a weird, like commercial sort of experience. And I did Robin Hood and I did all these other things that, and it kind of got like commercial and Hollywood and I, I didn't like it, but it all, it all sort of, you know, nobody really watched the Nick, which was quite strange. Like it was on Cinemax and like Robin Hood did not do well, like, which is not a secret. And so I kind of like, you know, I never got like a big aha boom sort of moment where like everybody knew my name and I was walking down the street and they were all looking at me, you know? So I've always just gone out of like the success is, is, is the work that I put into it and how I feel accomplished after. And also the experience of like, did I meet people that I liked? Did I learn from these people? You know, because I can never really tell like what the response is going to be on something And I'm lucky that I kind of didn't have like, I wasn't in some big box office hit early on. Um, It's kind of been a really strange, like meandering of a career. I think like for for me, it's been really good and really strange and and sort of in and out and up and down. And um, I'm, I'm, I find it, I'm lucky that my work is not so much tied to sort of a a massive uh, big success Right. Um, and I've basically just been like, you know, the lessons that I've learned on good projects or projects that I regret or whatever it is, the, that's that's really what I can take from it is that's that's the most important thing. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Um, yeah, that, that, and that's a great, that's a great takeaway because I, I think the people who do you know, I think one of the worst things that can happen to someone is the first thing out of the gate is a huge box office hit. Exactly. It's, it's can, really not good. That can fuck you up and also distort your expectations and also make you think that that's how things have to be. And I don't think, I think that life, and I don't think that many people are able to really do it that well, that life of the box office star feels like it has a lot of its own stresses and trappings than yeah. just someone who can kind of like, you know, like come and go, pick and choose things, work on cool stuff, but not really be tethered by this weird fucked up value system, you know? It's really, and it's really, it's confusing, I think, for for actors because, you know, there's this whole like, you know, box office, like how, what is what do they call it? What is the term they call it? like, your box office value or how, you know, however you can like, can you green light this movie because of like how much money your last movie made? And, you know, you can't get that job because of like those numbers. And um, it's a tricky world. You can get like sucked into that, I think. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I, I feel like the, the actors that I like working with and, are the ones who've had sort of more, um, you know, surprising careers. And, and it's usually, it's usually the, the actors that are only doing those box office movies that I, I, I find um, are more difficult actually to act with. Um, so I think like just valuing any experience, whether it's, good or bad or small or big is, you know, there's always a lesson to be learned. And, and that's, that's, I think the most, you know, 
that's why I like doing it. Yeah. Um, cause I go, okay, like I, I might go on to that job and I don't know how to play that character at all. I really don't. I'm terrified. And then I'll, I'll finish it and I'll go, oh, I learned something new about myself or I actually, I actually could do that or, you know, um, or that director really helped me. I really liked working with that director and how they, you know, helped me through that. I'll remember that one day, you know, if I direct something. So th- those are the things that I care about when I choose a job. That's amazing because that's the most important. That's the stuff that you can control, you know, and also that's the stuff where you're growing. You don't really grow because you get more or less popular. And it's ironic that that very idea of like, okay, yeah, enjoy it now because the second, you know, that idea of like putting our worth into external things that don't mean anything is literally what social media runs on. Like everyone experiences that now there's like now there's a metric and people define themselves by that metric and so it is kind of a weird it is kind of weird that that idea has now spilled into the general populace you know yeah yeah it's terrifying i the social media will it's it's gonna kill everyone's artistry for sure (laughs) it's just gonna well, how do you how do you push all that away and ignore it? And how do you remind yourself to like just focus on the task at hand and what's meaningful to you in the moment and not get not go down any of those paths? Honestly, I've always had people being really bizarre and, and weirdly fanatic with my family. So like, you know that's never bothered me. Like the internet's always been a bizarre place for me to, to <laughs> Oh my live. God, I'm sure, of course, of course. You know, so I've always learned like not really to trust it. I, it's not like I was like, you know, you know, I had a Facebook profile and it was just my friends from school. It was always, you know, a lot of YouTube fans trying to get in and steal all my photos and do some right. shit. So, so I don't know. I've just always had been put that separate and um like I have Instagram and I didn't have Instagram for ages and then they were like oh I hadn't worked in a while and they were like oh like you know this fashion company will pay you x amount of money to go to their event post on Instagram I was like what (laughs) (laughs) how much money (laughs) it's like absolutely and they were like you don't have an Instagram I was like I'll get one don't worry about it. <laughs> it was the most incredible night of my life. I felt like a Kardashian. I was like, this is why they do it. Like, I hadn't worked in a while. And like, you know, I needed to make money. Like I had to. It had been a really long time. And so I did it and I was like, cool. And then I, I got, I kind of like, I kind of keep my Instagram to mostly movie based stuff. That's why I try and keep it to is, I'm not sharing like family pictures or boyfriendy pictures or anything like that. It's mainly just like, you know, the photo shoots that I do and like announcements of what I'm going to be in and trailers and stuff like that. I try to keep it that, you know, it's simple to that. And then, you know, I don't share anything else. Um, sometimes I share pictures of my cat, but she's gorgeous and she's worth it. (laughs) Well, and that's also interesting too, because it is, um, when I I sort of think about the difference between a a musician and an actor in the sense that, uh, you know, a musician and your dad did this a lot too, of like, you you can sort of perform as a persona that Mm. is separate from who you are. And you could do interviews as that persona because as a musician, that's acceptable. But as an actor, you do play characters. But when you start to talk to people about it, you're expected to be Eve, the person, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so it's, it's, it's more difficult to create a persona as an actor that gives you that separation from who you are and who like, you know, like that. I mean, I, you know, uh, years ago, Paul McCartney was on the podcast and, and he was talking about like the performance version of him. He referred to as that guy. There was, mm-hmm. a, there was like an immediate separation, but I feel like actors still to a degree are like, when you post on Instagram, you're still Eve. You're not, you know, like Eve, this persona. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's funny. Like my therapist actually suggested I do this because I was having a difficult time on, on a, on a set. And I was like, I felt really kind of bogged down by it all. And and she was like, I think you need to kind of like literally come up with a persona for who you are on, on set. 
you know, who you are, like Eve, the actress. And obviously you're playing a character so right. that you don't feel sort of um, uh, attacked by this energy that you're getting on set. And you, you can kind of protect yourself. And so that when you go home, you know, you can then actually be you and, and feel like there's some sort of like mental separation and emotional separation between work life and home life. And um, I've been thinking about that a lot when we have to do press and stuff and like just how you kind of do have to be sort of a different persona, a different version of yourself. And it's kind of healthy even to, to even come up with like who you want to be. Like there's so many different characters I could, you know, you know, express to these interviews. I could come up with any story I want to tell them. It could be completely fabricated and they would run with it. <laughs> you know? Actually, that's a really brilliant, that's a really brilliant tactic too, especially for people who don't even work in a necessarily creative arts, but maybe have a job they hate or a work environment they don't like is being able to create that sort of armor to say like, oh, well, that's, that's work me. Yeah, because at least it prevents it from seeping into it, from internalizing it and personalizing it, and keeping it sort of separate. Like I don't like my job, or I don't really like the people I work with, but that doesn't have to be me. I mean, I constantly, when I was younger, I used to think, you know, your you are your career, and as I've gotten older and a bit wiser, I think, no, you're not your career. Your career is just a thing you do, but it's not yeah. you. It's just a thing yeah. you do. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, the blows and, and all of that and the successes, you know, maybe you don't take them so personally in, in a good way, you know, like yeah. it's so important to sort of try and figure out who you are without all of that. You know, you're not the sum of your successes or your failures and you, you kind of need to, you need to sort of create some healthy barrier um, because otherwise you just won't survive. It's so up and down the business. It's just so up and down um, that you'll just lose your mind. And also successes and failures, even thinking in that construct are not, um, there's nothing present about it, you know, like uh, success and failure is really sort of a hindsight. Uh, it's a past, it's kind of a past um, view of the world because you don't know, if something is a success or failure, you know, from that point of until it's done and it comes out and you, you know, but then if you focus on that, that's living in the past and you're not being present. So this idea that you're talking about, I'm just sort of like, you know, did I learn stuff? What am I doing in the moment? How do I like, that's, I think really the best life success you can, you can have because that's, that's where the growth happens, not whether or not something is defined as, you know, we have no control over how it's defined really. So why focus on that? Yeah, I agree. Um, do you think uh, at some point uh, the things that you start producing you, as you kind of sort of tease a little bit, do you think it's going to really start revolving around psychology, psycho child psychology? Do you think you will get to express this sort of like that your your psychologist desires rather than having to go write essays. Yeah. Technically the scripts, you know, maybe you can turn in some of these scripts and be like, here's my dissertation, but it's also yeah, true. True. I could do that. <laughs> um, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, honestly, just the idea of being able to have more creative control over the things that I'm doing. Like I know I drive directors nuts. Like they have told me, I'm like, why are you doing that? What are you doing? You know? <laughs> oh, you're setting the shot up like that? Oh, okay. You know, like, I'm there like, Eve, get out. Um, I want to be involved in that, in that, in those decisions. I want to be like, I would, my dream would be to, for directors to like take me into the editing suite or like, you know, like I like so badly want that. So whatever it is, whether it's like about psychology or whatever, I just really am excited to kind of, be more than an actor because um, I love acting, but I genuinely love filmmaking. I really, really do the whole process of it. And I love movies. So I just want to be more involved. Well, they're just different storyteller mediums, right? And as an actor, you really only get to tell one point of view and you don't really have a lot of control over how that's done. Yeah. You can sort of approximate, but you don't know what takes they're going to use. You don't know how it's going to cut together. You don't. So I would imagine it would probably be really um, liberating to be able to sort of have that kind of 
you know, overall puppeteer storytelling storyteller view of it to be able to kind of like make it what you want. Yeah, I would, it would be just so fun and just a dream. It would probably not be good for me. I would be like drunk with control, you know, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you, if you evil laugh every day at work, like that is, that is a foreseeable issue. Yeah, oh boy, we got the evil laugh. Shit's going to go sideways today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you, uh, Behind Her Eyes is on Netflix now. The yeah. whole, uh, is it, um, is it a is it a, is it a thing that might have a season two or is it just like a self enclosed story? I wouldn't be able to say that. Ah, that was yeah. a dumb question. I'm sorry. Um. Uh. No. No. I wouldn't be able to say. However, we have it was a, a very famous book, and we have yes. stole We have so we have told the story of the book, and so I think if there was a season two, Sarah Pinborough, who who wrote the book, would have to be involved. Um it would take some creative minds to sort of come up with how we could do a season two. Yeah. Um, but you'll see what I mean when you get to episode six. So, you know, obviously the weight of, of the last year has been heavy on, on, on the world. Um, but, you know, in as much as I like to try to look at, you know, like what's positive, those little nuggets of hope that we can just stuff in our soul and kind of wrap ourselves around is there anything in particular that you're excited about right now or looking forward to or joyful about or anything could be anything. A hobby. Yeah, I, have a, I have a number one hit show. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm taking from this pandemic is that my show is number one on Netflix. Eve, that doesn't define your value. We've covered this. <laughs> no, but it's nice. I like talking about, like, it's not about success. It's not about success, but my show is number one. <laughs> 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 no, it's about personal growth, creativity. Right, right, right. And also number one, number one shows up. But I have a number one show. Yeah, number one show. It's about personal growth with a number one show. Yes. It's not that having a number one show defines who we are, but it does help a lot of things. It does help you sleep at night. <laughs> what uh what's what do you think is the first thing you're gonna do once everything kind of opens back up is it just to like go to a pub or just go to a theme oh, i i want to go to a pub and get a guinness nice i just i'm i'm dying for that that's what i want to do i just want to go to a pub with my friends and drink guinness and get drunk and like spit on each other's faces it's going to be amazing <laughs> <laughs> This is okay now. What do you say? Yeah. Couldn't do this for like a year and a half. Yeah, I'm going to get the vaccine in my eyeballs and then I'm going to go. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. I hope you had a nice time. Thank you so much. Behind Her Eyes is on Netflix, the entire series. And please come back anytime. Thank you. I will. I'd love I'd love to. Uh, the end. ID Tenty scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. Thousands, not millions. $200,000. Because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th.